Good morning. Uh, as some of you know, I try to keep my welcomes as short as possible, so I will do that. But before I get started, I would like to take a moment to recognize our land. I am coming to you today from Pickering, Ontario, Canada, which is the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nations, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. This acknowledgement reminds us of our responsibilities to our relationship and ancestral lands to which we learn, share, and live. I am Matthew Hart, or Matt, uh, the CEO for Longwoods and producers of this morning's event. We received a lot of support for today's event, and um, I would like to take a second to thank those organizations. UKG, uh, Nicole Filiotrot. Um, UKG has done a lot of work in supporting organizations in dealing with things like microaggression and racism. With Hiroc, Philip D'Souza. Uh, Philip has a fantastic podcast. Uh, you should really check it out. So look up podcasts and, uh, and Hiroc. LBCG Consulting, uh, Steve Lowe. I've gotten to know Steve very well over the last few years and his uh, support and work in the Indigenous communities has been impeccable. MetaV, uh, Eric Sande is here this morning. Eric and his team has been supporting health outside of the hospital setting with great success um, and something that you should have a look at and review. And lastly, Staffy. Uh, Peter Feist is uh, here to help us kick off this morning and uh, say a few welcoming words. So Peter, the floor is yours. Thank you, Matt, and good morning, everyone. My name is Peter Feist, CEO and founder of Staffy. Staffy is proud to sponsor an event that provides a platform for healthcare professionals to share experiences and have meaningful discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We hope to continue and support such events and conversations in the future. Staffy is here to actively listen and learn from you today with the intention to participate and do our part to support a more equitable, fair, and more just healthcare system in Ontario. With that said, I respectfully yield my time for this important discussion. I'm pleased to introduce today's event chair, Yinka McCall. Tinka. Good morning, and welcome to today's Healthcare Rounds on how meaningful change in diversity, equity, and inclusion from healthcare leaders matter. My name is Yinka McCauley, and I'm delighted to be today's chair for our keynote and panel discussion. The intent for today's discussion is to shed light on DEI and leadership within healthcare, and the enablers, levers, and necessity in supporting its advancement. We know systems contribute to perpetuating systemic barriers and equity. We also know gaps exist within our organizations where the distribution of leadership is often not reflective of the communities and populations served. To disrupt the status quo, understanding the experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color within systems and as professionals as emerging and senior leadership is needed. I am pleased to be joined by a phenomenal group of people who will share their stories, reflections, and wisdom. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to our keynote speaker, Dr. Gigi Osler. Gigi. Good morning, and thank you for that warm welcome. I am absolutely delighted to be joining you all here. My name is Dr. Gigi Osler, and I am coming to you from Winnipeg. And on this beautiful, cold and snowy morning, uh, I acknowledge that I am on the original lands of the Cree, OG Cree, Dakota and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. And uh, my presentations always come with a disclosure. And so my only disclosure today is that back in February 2021, which feels like a lifetime ago, I did a presentation for Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices. Don't think they're here today. And my presentation was about physician health and wellness during the pandemic. 
And today, my presentation will neither refer to any medical devices, nor will it refer to any Johnson & Johnson products. And so today, really, I am here to set the stage for the incredible panel uh, that will come after me. And my ask of you for today is to listen both with your head and your heart. And my presentation will cover some of the who, who am I, who's this person talking to you? What are we talking about today? So a few definitions, why EDI or DEI should matter as healthcare leaders. And I'll speak to a little bit of the how. Who am I? I love this slide because for me, this honors both my past, uh, who I am right now, and it speaks to why EDI matters to me in the future. I'm the daughter of immigrants born in Canada. My mother was, is, was a retired nurse from the Philippines, and she raised me to be a strong, independent woman. And a common refrain growing up was get an education so you can stand on your own two feet. My father in the middle was a physician from India, and he really was my inspiration to go into medicine. And I am the great, great, great niece-in-law of Sir William Osler, so related through marriage. And that explains why you have a brown face with the last name Osler talking to you about EDI in healthcare. So one of my roles uh, in the past was as president of the Canadian Medical Association. And before you are photographs of all of the CMA presidents since 1867. So the CMA is as old as this country itself. And when I became president in 2018, I realized that in our proud history, I was only the eighth woman to hold the position and I was the first woman of color. And after my installation, I was struck by the number of people of color, women especially, who told me that they were inspired to see somebody who looked like them in such an important position. And because of that, they could see themselves one day in leadership positions. So in the words of Marion Wright Edelman, you cannot be what you cannot see. So let's talk a few, uh, let's talk about a few of the what's. What are we talking about today? And so I acknowledge that today we are talking about EDI or DEI in healthcare. But as a physician, much of my data and my lived experience is in medicine and in the physician sphere. So much of my data does talk about physicians. What do we know about Canada's physician workforce? Well, we know that the majority of physicians in Canada are white and that black and indigenous physicians are underrepresented. And it's expected that by about 2030, half of Canada's physicians will be women. But even now, we don't know the prevalence of physicians who are transgender, gender diverse, or non-binary simply because that data is not collected. So few definitions, which I know you all know, BIPOC, Black Indigenous People of Color, DEI or Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, also known as EDI, 
And diversity is about the variety of unique dimensions, qualities, and characteristics that we all possess. This definition of inclusion is from the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. And it's one I really like because it speaks about the collective. And it speaks about creating a culture that strives for equity and a culture that embraces, respects, accepts, and values our differences. And intersectionality, we cannot forget about intersectionality. And intersectionality is the interconnected nature of differences as they apply to a given individual or group. And it creates overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. And intersectionality reminds us that there are differing levels of inequality and different levels of privilege. And finally, what is systemic racism? And this is a definition from the uh, anti-racism policy at the Faculty of Health Sciences Center here at the University of Manitoba, my home institution. They define it as uh, Systemic and institutional racism refers to the arrangements and practices that maintain racial hierarchies and racial inequality. A few weeks ago, there was a letter to the editor in the Winnipeg Free Press, and that's the photo on the right. And the writer writes, as much as the term systemic racism is used, I have never heard anyone point out a single example of any racist rule regulation or policy in force today. It seems to me, absent any evidence to the contrary, that systemic racism does not exist in Canada. And this is not an uncommon refrain. And I can tell you that it is both demoralizing and exhausting to be doing the work to deconstruct gender inequities and systemic racism while at the same time, having others demand that you prove its existence to them, rather than them listening and learning on their own. So let's talk a little bit about why. Why does DEI or EDI matters, matter? So again, as a physician, I acknowledge that uh, I can speak to why EDI matters to physicians or why it should matter. And it matters because women and racialized physicians continue to experience barriers and biases. It affects our sense of inclusion and belonging, and it affects the culture in which we work and train. This is a recent study of physician diversity in Alberta. And they found that many physicians continue to experience marginalization. Let me read you some of the comments from the survey. What is your gender identity? Normal man, not sure what the other bullshit terms mean. And some physicians who are lazy try to use the race card so that their inadequacies are not able to be used against them. 34, 929. 37.7. Do you know the significance of these numbers? Brian Sinclair, an Indigenous man, dies 
after spending 34 hours in a hospital waiting room without receiving care. A police officer kneels on the neck of a black man, George Floyd, for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Joyce Ashikwan dies at the age of 37 years, leaving behind seven children. For me, these numbers speak to why EDI must matter. It must matter because people and patients continue to be harmed by systemic racism and their health and health outcomes continue to suffer. How? Let's talk about the how. How is it that inequity is built into our healthcare system, built into medicine? And how can we start to change? Mary Beard is an English scholar, and she argues that the exclusion of women from power is culturally embedded. And she states, you cannot easily fit women into a structure that is already coded as male. You have to change the structure. Now take out women and take out male from that sentence. Substitute trans and cis. Substitute indigenous and white. Substitute black and white. We are living in a time of reckoning for social justice and equality. And in that reckoning, it requires that we as healthcare leaders examine the systems and structures that we live and work in. Here is an example of how the patriarchy, and by that I mean a system or structure where power is disproportionately held by men, how is the patriarchy embedded in medicine? Well, over centuries of medical and health research, normal has generally been defined as the male body. And this level of sex blindness in our educational materials that trains us as physicians in medical research, it has consequences for anyone whose body does not conform to the norm. And as a result, individuals and groups may receive the wrong diagnosis, may not be offered treatment, or may simply be given the wrong dose of the wrong drug. Look at heart disease in women. In the past and even now, the Heart and Stroke Foundation estimates that about two thirds of all heart disease and stroke clinical research focuses on the male body. And the assumption for many years was that one size fits all. And as a result, women's heart health outcomes are worse. And it's very fitting to be talking about that in February and I'm wearing red. Women are under-researched, under-diagnosed, under treated and are more likely to experience delays in treatment. And as a result, in the words of the Heart and Stroke Foundation, women are over dying. 
And finally, there's increasing data on physician-patient racial concordance and the health outcomes linked to either the concordance or disconcordance. This study found that when black newborn babies are cared for by black physicians, the baby's mortality is reduced by 50%. So finally, a small example of how you can take some first steps. Uh, I also chair the Canadian Medical Forum and the Canadian Medical Forum is a consortium of national medical organizations and healthcare organizations. And our members are listed on your screen. In 2020, we prioritized addressing racism in medicine and healthcare. And we wanted to identify system level opportunities for change. But as we were determining how to address the problem, we realized we didn't have any data on the anti-racism policies of our own organizations. So we conducted an environmental scan and in 2020, we found that only 16.6% of our organizations had a specific internal policy on anti-racism and only 10% had a specific policy on anti-racism. That got us to thinking. And as a consortium, we recognized the need for collective responsibility and clear leadership. We also acknowledged, and this is important for everyone here, you need data. You need institutional data with clear metrics so that you can benchmark and measure not only your own progress, but those of the organizations similar to yours. And I'm gonna finish with this. You as leaders all understand how difficult change is, both for individuals and especially for organizations. And change is difficult because it is about power. Change alters power and requires power shifting and power sharing. But you are leaders. Remind people that change is not about losing power or taking seats away. Change is about making a bigger table for everyone. Thank you, merci beaucoup, miigwech, and I appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you, Gigi, for your powerful presentation and insightful reflections. Building on your presentation and in highlighting the need for collective responsibility and leadership, a question I would like to ask is what is the risk for healthcare organizations who are slow to act on equity, diversity, and inclusion? Thank you, Ms. McCauley. And that is a great question. And you know, if we think about the time that we are living in right now, that time where more is being asked of our institutions and our leaders. It is a time of reckoning and a time of accountability. So I would think about it in a few different ways. As leaders, you all understand risks. So if you apply a risk framework to this, who are the stakeholders who could be harmed by being slow on EDI or being simply performative? There's a real risk of harm to patients. We, we, you saw some of that data and there is data that is showing uh, 
different health outcomes for different groups of people. Think of the risk to the people within your organization, not just the people you serve, but perhaps your employees, your members. Who are those people? And look at your leadership. Does your leadership reflect the diversity of the people that you serve? And if they don't, you are missing out on diversity of thought, diversity of understanding, diversity of experience. If you're in a for-profit company, you know this, in the for-profit world, there is data that shows companies with diverse boards perform better than similar companies with less diverse boards. And finally, I would say to you, from an organizational perspective of EDI, you know, not only is it the morally and ethically right thing to do, if you were to apply a risk lens to it, what's the financial risk to your organization to be slow to change with EDI, to not adopt it? And what is the reputational risk? And that's where the accountability comes in. You know, I, I often hear people talk about living in a cancel culture. It, it's not cancellation. It is people asking for accountabilities from our institutions, from our leaders, and from our system. Thank you again, Dr. Osler, for your phenomenal presentation and reflections. Thank you.